Hello and welcome to episode 8 of the Next Goal Wins podcast. On today's podcast, we are joined by former Manchester United captain, England coach and the current Sky Sports pundit, Gary Neville. We hope you enjoy the podcast and yet again, thank you for listening. Right, guys, uh, welcome to the next podcast. We've got a very, very good guest today. Um, how are you, Joe? Yeah, really um, good. Oh, uh, yeah. talking to me then. <laughs> no, no, he's already started. Uh, I think we've, uh, there we are, we're giving it away. Uh, today, we're joined by Gary Neville. How are you, Gary? I'm very good, thanks. How are you, lads? Yeah, very oh, good, very good. good. Um, basically, where we're going to start is obviously the start of your career, so it's a long time ago. See if you can uh, track your memory back. Um, it's not that long. <laughs> it's before I was before we were born, so I think we're gonna we're gonna go for that one. <laughs> um, you know, how did it feel to be part of you know the youth setup of the club, which you know you grew up supporting all your life up until that point, obviously continued. So, um, it was a dream. Um, I think probably the only time that I've ever really got upset about football in my life was when I was awarded a schoolboy in professional form at United at the age of 14 and my dad come to, drove to my school and I wasn't expecting it and obviously to see my dad there at lunchtime certainly didn't expect but he'd just been to see uh, Eric and Brian Kidd that morning and um, basically from that moment on um, I, my dream had been realised that it was, it was just to get a chance to play for the club really um, you don't know what's going to happen, you're not sure, you have doubts like every other young person about whether you're good enough to do what obviously you're going to go into, but at least you knew that you were there and that you had this sort of fighting chance to, uh, to play for what obviously was my club and uh, yeah, I loved United, everything about it, it was uh, mesmerising to me and magic when I was a kid. Yeah, you know, you were coached by my granddad, obviously Eric Harrison, um, how much of an influence did he like have on your career at the start and then obviously going through once you'd, you'd left the youth set up? Uh, he had a huge influence on on me personally. Um, I know every lad uh, that obviously came through him, not just sort of in my age group, but before and after will tell their own story of the influence that uh, Eric had on us. But from my personal point of view, um, I, you know, I went on to become you know, a tenacious, quite gritty, determined defender over many, many years at United, sort of 15, 20 years. When I joined Manchester United at the age of 16 as, as a full-time apprentice, YTS, I, I was nothing like that. Uh, absolutely not. And that's where I believe that attitude, desire, um, the resilience and toughness to sort of get through your life can be taught. Because it was Eric that taught me those qualities that enabled me to think that I could get through a career at Manchester United. He always talked about the values of being a Manchester United player and sort of maybe to people who haven't been at the club or even maybe to us at the age of 16, we didn't quite understand what that meant. But I think when you get to the end of your career and you've gone all the way through it, you understand what he meant by that in terms of just having to cope with the continual standards that Manchester United set, the um, standards that Alex Ferguson was setting in the first team, but Eric, Eric was setting at 16, sort of 17 and 18 years of age with us, never letting up. Every single day had to be maximum. Um, there was never anything other than that in any time that I was with Eric. And even when sort of I left him to go and play with the reserves, he would often come and see me. He said that you were nothing at Manchester United until you played 100 games. And when you had 100 games, he'd come and see you and say, 
you know, you're nothing at this club until you play 300 games, and you know, he, he would continue, continue, continually challenge you. And ne- what what you'd done was never enough. Um, but he would also give you the odd well done, which meant the world. And he sort of toughened me up from 16 to 18. It took me from a boy into a into a man and made me realise what it needed. You know, Nobby Styles was his assistant. You can imagine how tough Nobby was. You saw Nobby play the game. Uh, and both of them together were ferocious in their in their attitude towards making Manchester United players, but also in their determination to make sure that every single day there was nothing left. No stone left unturned, and it was a, it was an incredible experience. It was tough, um, you know. People will say being a footballer, it's easy. You get paid a lot of money. You know, two years under Eric Harrison and Nobby Styles was hard work. It was damned hard. But you went home some nights and you didn't know how you were going to get up and train in the morning. You were aching that much. Your standards that you were setting, so you might have had a go at you, particularly if you had a bad game, and you you worried that you might your future might be. Or he tested you in all sorts of different ways. But he also coached us and he taught me about the tactical side of football, um, how to play as a centre-back, how to play as a full-back. And that's why I think positionally during my career, um, I was pretty good. You know, I wasn't lightning quick um, and I wasn't six foot two. But positionally, knowing where to be, knowing how to behave on a pitch, knowing how to use my body, um, it was just he taught me that. Um, and I had a good spring, you know, every single day you used to have that heading ball up on that sort of, what we <laughs> yeah. and we used to, if you remember that, and he used to have us jumping up and just going like that and heading the ball, and me and Casper every single day was to head it about 30, 40 balls a day, that's why I've got a nose like this, Joe, go grab that. Yeah, I think uh, Ryan touched on it last week, I'm going to see if you remember this story, he said him, um, one day it was snowing at the cliff, and you thought, everyone thought you were staying in the gym, and uh, Ryan told us that you all had to go over to Littleton Road and play rugby. Do you do you remember this this happening at any point? I I remember loads of things like that. I remember one day we'd been beaten by I can't remember who it was about Everton or somebody in the in the eighteen. I remember having us in the day after, and I remember him sending us on a cross country. I mean, a cross country. Imagine now sending <laughs> Premier League player. As well, on a cross country and we went for this five six mile cross country through these woods and fields and it was muddy it was awful it was freezing cold it was windy and I just remember thinking this is not what we signed up to this isn't this isn't this isn't, being, this is what being, this isn't what being a footballer's about and but things like that playing rugby training in the snow training on the ice going doing uh, cross countries in thick mud through woods and him him driving his car up to the end of the woods <laughs> to make sure we came out the other side and that we were still running. Um, I always remember him on the, the 12 minute runs we used to do in pre-season. You used to have to do eight and a half laps of a pitch in 12 minutes. Oh, wow. And it was, honestly, it was awful. He had some of the most awful runs you'll <clears> ever <throat> think of in your life. He was brutal. <laughs> he, he had this run called the one to eight. There was a speed test. There was the um, there was the twelve minute run, and he literally on his twelve minute run in pre season he used to have this flip chart that he'd have with him, and literally he'd have a, he'd have a mark and he'd mark where you finished one Saturday morning. This is this is old school, really. Think about it now. Yeah, they measure yeah. it now, I think, in your heart rate. <laughs> he'd mark on the pitch where you finished. The week after, if you didn't get past that mark where he put, <laughs> you were in massive trouble because you know that was the idea of measuring each week that yeah, you were getting yeah. fitter as the pre season went on. But they were horrible runs. They were massively competitive. Uh, and, you know, he drove that into us every single day that you basically work as hard as you can. It, 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 was, it was a tough school. 
Yeah, so obviously, at what point did you realise that, you know what, I might get a chance in the first team? Was it when some of the other lads started getting chances or did you no. like, just set yourself on 100% I need it to was, make it, and I'm going to go? No, it was your granddad. I, I remember the moment as if it was yesterday when I was about three, four months in. I made my debut um, in the, I was 17. And I remember him calling me into the office. He used to have a meeting with us once a month. Um, a one-on-one -on -one where he'd basically tell us how we were doing, like an update, um, more like a mentoring session, really. Sometimes it was good, sometimes it wasn't so good. You never looked forward to it because you used to know what was coming. Um, but I remember him saying to me, you know, I can't, I, he, he had a way with words in terms of, it was always his Yorkshire on it, so it's, it's never yeah, going to be yeah. polished and it's never going to oh, be yeah, sort definitely. of pretty. Um, so it was basically a case of, he said, you know, you're not guaranteed to play for Manchester United. He said, but before you came, I didn't think you had a chance. Mm. He said, but I'm telling you now, you've got a chance. And that was all I ever needed to wear. <laughs> and from that, yeah. that, little crumb of com that little crumb of comfort, yeah. that little sort of you know, light at the end of the tunnel where he's, and he, said, and he actually, I think, followed it up by saying, and by the way, I wouldn't tell you had a chance if I didn't think you had a chance. Yeah, yeah. So that made me realise that he wasn't somebody who bullshitted. He was yeah. somebody who took... Absolutely. Am I allowed to swear on the podcast? Yeah, yeah, go yeah. for it. <laughs> Fire away. <laughs> but it's the only word I could use to describe sort of Eric's sort of, yeah, yeah. sort of blunt, blunt approach to telling you exactly where you were at. And that was the only thing that I ever needed to hear. And I think he believed in me in the early days more than Sir Alex believed in me. Um, in fact, I know, I know that for sure because I think Sir Alex was nervous about which position I would play. Sir Alex thought I was basically too small to be a centre-half. And he didn't think I was quick enough to be a right back. And he didn't think I was good enough on the ball. So I was almost stuck in between two positions, uh, which actually in some ways, when Glenn Hoddle and Terry Venables were managers of England, they played me in the right of a back three, which was yeah. ideal for me because it enabled yeah. me to have a little bit more protection with you know, bigger lads in the middle, but it enabled me to be able to basically also get on the ball and go wide and defend. So that was the perfect position for me, really. But... Anyway, in the end, obviously, it all came good. But, yeah, it was, it was, it was Eric's words in the, that gave me the hope. Yes, obviously, uh, Guy, you had... Oh. Oh, yeah, Guy, did, you, did you always believe yourself that you were good enough to make it to the first team? No. No, and I don't think... If, if you ask any player, that you have to be a unique type of character to have that level of belief that, yeah, I'm going to be the first team. You either have to be ignorant, stupid, or naive to always think that as a young player. Um, you, have, you want to and you're desperate to. Um, but the idea that you say, I'm going to have 500 games at Manchester United, I'm good enough, you don't think like that. Um, mm. And I think you have doubts because you see other players, you see Bruce and Pallister and you see Paul Parker playing, you see Dennis Irwin, and you see the standards that they're setting, they were winning leagues and you think, can I get there? But you get more confident. And it's, it's never, this idea that it's just a... Um, one big moment gives you the confidence that you're going to be a first-team player and you believe it all the time. That doesn't, it doesn't come like that. Eric gave me the hope and the belief, but then it's every training session beyond that that you have. So when the first-team players used to come down and train with the reserves or they used to come play with the A-team and you saw them and you played alongside them and you realised they were human, that's the first yeah. thing you've got to realise, that your heroes, the people who are actually in the first team, they're human. You actually can play with them. You can actually, you know, compete with them. You can tackle them. You can dribble. You can do things with them. You can, 
cross to them. So you actually accept that you can live in their company. And that's the first thing. That's a, a difficult thing in itself to actually believe that you belong in that company. And then once you start building your confidence and your personality and your character, which is very different now, my, my personality today is totally different when I was 16, 17. I was a mouse back then. Even though I was, I, I was, I always organized, and Eric made me captain and he made me foreman in my second year. So he made me captain of the youth team, he made me foreman of the, of the groups. The foreman was the person who basically went and checked the jobs at the end of the day. So was the gym clean? Were the showers clean? Were the, um, was the kit clean, the boots, the laundry away? I, did, I had to check every single job and then I had to go up to see Eric, knock on his door and say, Eric, the jobs are done. <laughs> I'll help. I'll be down in a minute. <laughs> and he'd come down and no word of a lie, I remember him wiping his finger on the top of a gym equipment <laughs> and a bit of dust on it and keeping us there till half five till we re-cleaned the whole gym. Seriously, oh he did that. God. And just something, it was nothing to do with the gym being dirty. He'll have had a game to watch or something else and thought, well, I'm not going on, please. Like, I'm not going on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so, no, in terms of, um, in terms of believing it, you just get given the foreman, you get made captain, you have a few games, you win a youth cup, then you train with Brian Robson, then you train with Roy Keane, and then you train with Eric Cantona. And, and bit by bit, you build up your confidence day by day. And eventually, the manager will give you a match if you're lucky. And even then, when you play the match, you realise that you've got a bigger chance than you had before, but you don't still feel like you're going to become a first-team player. Playing one game for Manchester United or 10 games is not being a first-team player. That's just mm. filling numbers in the gap. That's just like, you know, it's like a... It's great... Better, better than nothing and it gives you a head start in your life but it doesn't make you a player in terms of sort of what you want to be at the club yeah, at what point definitely. did you feel that you were an established player in the first team um, I felt I was an established player after Euro 96 I'd played probably at that point about 70 games in the first team played in a tournament major tournament Lived in a major tournament. I think I won right back at the tournament in Euro 96. I was 20, 21. And I came out of that tournament thinking, right, okay, if I can, if I can win a league, if I can win a double, if I can play 70 games for United, if I can play against Liverpool and, and all the best teams in the league like Arsenal, if I can play in cup finals. So I played in two cup finals at the age of 20. Played in the European Championships in the biggest atmospheres that English football's ever seen since 1966. Once I came through that, I then believed, right, okay, I'm on to something here. I then got confident in myself that I could that I could play on the biggest stage, that I was comfortable. Um, and I would say probably it went up a level again, probably after 99, even though I probably had my worst patch and losing confidence that season after. You know, after 99, you feel unstoppable. Mm-hmm. Um, you win the treble, you've got three, four league titles under your belt. Uh, but I would say definitely after Euro 96, was the point where I thought, right, okay, I can do this. You know, I, I, I can play on an international stage. I can play on a, you know, for Manchester United in a title-winning team. Um, I can play alongside great players like Peter Schmeichel, Tony Adams, Alan Shearer, Paul Ince, Paul Gascoigne, um, Eric Cantona, all these great players I was playing alongside and I was living in their company. Um, some would say actually being propped up by their company. <laughs> <laughs> No, I don't think so. Um, was there any point during your time at United where you felt you might be leaving or you attempted to leave at any point? Or was it were you set on, as long as I can stay at this club, I am going to no. stay at this club? Just the end. Just at the yeah. end, I was hanging on for dear life at the end, really, for the last <laughs> couple of years. 
Yeah. Um, no, that, that was it really. I stayed one year too long in the end, one, one season too long. But I, I knew that at the time. But the gaffer, yeah. uh, the boss was just so persistent and he, you can't say no to him and he doesn't take no for an answer. And <laughs> um, he basically tells you what to do. And that's it basically. We were at, I still, he basically from the point of sort of the age of 16 through to well, 36 when I left, you still, to be fair, have that level of respect that, you know, he's the boss, he knows best, and you go along with it. Because, obviously, he delivered us so, so, so much success. But he probably got the last one with me wrong in terms of the last year. It's probably a bit yeah. too much. I think he liked having me around the club. I was obviously good in the changing room, and the lads, um, like me, Scolzi and Giggsy, were the sort of senior players, and he, he wanted that sort of what would be calmness that we brought just like he did when we were younger and he had experienced players like Steve Bruce and Brian McClare. Um, you know, they brought that same level of calmness. But no, never thought about leaving till the very end, really. I couldn't get out quick enough because I was playing that bad. <laughs> everyone knows, obviously, your time at United, everyone knows that they were, the, they were the club to beat. Um, how was it every week knowing that every team that was going to come to Old Trafford saw that as their big game and their cup final? Did that, you know, benefit you and the other players because you could have a real good game against them? Or was it kind of hard some weeks when the, uh, low, no. you know, the lower teams came and they, when, it was their big day out? It, it's not just sort of one size fits all that every game was the same, every feeling was the same yeah. every season. Because like, let's say between 2003 and 2006, um, when Jose Mourinho won the league twice and Arsene Wenger had the Invincibles, we were struggling. You know, it, yeah. it was a case that people thought they could beat us. We lost games at Old Trafford. But for the majority of my period at United, um, teams were intimidated in the tunnel. We were, they were beaten. And we used to have this thing about making sure that when we did the handshake, we shook the hands hard and we looked into their eyes. And it was Sir Alex who told us to do that. And he always looked down the tunnel at the opposing manager. He always looked down the tunnel at the opposing players. And the first question that you always have to ask a team when they came to Old Trafford was, do you fancy this? Yeah. It's not going to be pleasant for you. Whichever way you look at it, it's not going to be pleasant for it for them. And when you say teams were beaten before the game started, a lot of, a lot of them were. Because we got to a point whereby we were, we were bullies in a nice way. You know, we're on the pinch. We just literally would go out and we'd be aggressive from second one. I mean, the first 10, 15 minutes of a game, we were aggressive. And that doesn't mean aggressive in tackling or aggressive in heading. Or That means we would play forward, we would run forward, we would be shouting, we would be saying, get it forward, get it into him. Run at him. If, if I had, say, a player in front of me, you know, David Beckham was playing against the left-back, I'd be shouting at him, get at him, get at him. And that had really unnerved the left-back at times. Mm. I think it had really unnerved the players. I think we were just quite an intimidating team, really, psychologically, to play against. Um, Roy Keane, obviously, in the middle of the pitch. Yap Stam as a centre-back, <laughs> pick off to that team. Um, we didn't fear anybody. We didn't fear anything. Um, and the, the teams that played against us knew they had to run a million miles mm. and they had to be good and they had to have a lot of luck. And that was just, unless you were a really great team going to Old Trafford, but the team sort of generally from sort of what would be top, from sort of seven down to 20, it, it wouldn't have been a pleasant experience for them the majority yeah. of the time. You know, it would have been, and, and they, were, they were beaten before they started. So even though they came with, oh, you know, everyone wants to beat you, mentally they were destroyed before they come, a lot of them. Hmm. Was there one team that went toe to toe? Came to Old Trafford, done the same thing. Stared down the tunnel, shook che- your hands, looked into your eye. Chelsea, Chelsea got the best record at Old Trafford. Chelsea always came and believed. Um, 
various different Arsenal teams over the years. Petit, Vieira, Adams, Keown, Bold, those types of lads, Dixon, Winterburn, they came to Old Trafford and believed, you know, some teams, they're really good sides, Juventus, the great Juventus mm. team, Bayern Munich, those teams didn't blink. They didn't blink when they came to Old Trafford. They were coming for a fight and they'd go for it and we were, we were punch for punch. Um, but various different teams of Arsenal's over the years, when they went a bit weaker, we were you know, 6-1s and things like that where they just... You've got, to be, you've got to be tough to go to the biggest grounds. You've got to go to Anfield away, even if it's not the best Liverpool team. It obviously isn't at the moment, but if it's not the best Liverpool team, you've got to be tough to go to Anfield and win. Mm. It's yeah. hard work going to Anfield and win to win. It's, it's tough. It's tough to go to Highbury and win. It's tough to go to Stamford Bridge. So you know you've got to be at your absolute best. So you wouldn't ever... Coming to Old Trafford for them was different. Chelsea had a good record, but a lot of them didn't. Tottenham and Everton and teams like West Ham had really poor records. You know, you could just walk, walk out onto the pitch and you just almost felt like you could blow them over with, you know, like a feather almost. You know, yeah. they just literally just didn't want it. Yeah. Uh, so, obviously, you've, played, you've come up against some great players during your career. Who, who do you think, in your opinion, is the, the best player you've had to come face-to-face up, up against? Um, I remember the 2004 European Championships in Portugal and... Figo was playing against me and, and Cristiano was playing against Ashley Cole. Mm. And then Samau, who's a great player also, was play, was on the bench and he came on and Rui Costa would drift out. I always remember in that game thinking that was one of the toughest games I've ever played. Figo would switch, Cristiano would come and play against me. Um, Samau would then came on, Rui Costa would drift over to this side. Deco was playing. And I remember that being sort of a game where it was massively challenging. The great Premier League left wingers I played against were Robin, Janola, uh, Overmars. But there was honestly, I think Giggsy always says the thing when you played against Ryan Giggsy in training every single day. Yeah, he said that last week, Cristiano, funnily enough. He said that about you last week. He said training with Gary Neville every week. It's uh, you don't come up against someone better in the league. So I think there we are. He's, he's that, complimented that, that, you there. That was the thing, because like we were tough with each other every single day. We'd be at each other every single day. And he was running at me. I was I was trying to stop him. Then Cristiano would be against me in training. And Nani would be against me in training. So I had the best players in the world in their positions playing against me every day in training. And yeah. trying to basically take the mickey out of me every day in training. And me having to compete with that and stop them. So when it got to Saturday, more often than not, you were playing against a player who was inferior to the player you played against. So that's five days. And... Mm. You know, I, you know, Ryan obviously said he played against me in training. I was, I was match speed in training. He was match speed in training. There was yeah. no let up. And I think that surprised a lot of people when we went away with England, how we trained. You know, Scholes would fly into tackles and just do people in training. It was just normal to us, but they were all like, what are you doing? You know, <laughs> you know almost surprised that it was like this, you know, little animal in midfield that was basically going kicking everybody. That he saw, he saw him late in challenges on the pitch playing, but he was like that in training. Yeah, oh yeah, I can imagine. Um, well, we asked Ryan last week to choose between two teams, which you were both both part of. Um, the team that won the treble, Champions League, and the team that won the 2008 Champions League. We said if they were to come up against each other, which team would win in a, in a game? I've always said the 2008 achievement bigger because they got to three European Cup finals and they won mm. three leagues. Uh, in a one-off game, 
It'll be tough, that. It'll be tough. Um, I would say probably Roy Keane would be the edge for me in terms yeah. of probably the 99 team in a one-off game. Mm -hmm. I, I would Because Roy was just such a force, that I would just say, but Cristiano was in the 19, 2018, so, and Rooney, it was unbelievable. And Tevez. 1-1. One, one. <laughs> Take it to penalties. Yeah, we, we scored from one of my crosses and I didn't even see the goal. I was going to the goal. <laughs> so obviously, uh, after, after retirement, um, you've obviously had a plenty of projects to keep yourself busy. Um, which one have you enjoyed the most um, in, your, in your eyes? Um, it's Salford, definitely. Yeah, Salford definitely, yeah. Because it's just the one that still gives me that adrenaline buzz, still gives me that rush, that feeling of when I played. Um, when we lose, I'm angry. Um, when, you know, it gets me excited, it gets me nervous, it gets me... You've seen me actually, Joe, to be fair, in that yeah. box, smashing that window. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to um, say that. Is that. Do you think you've, you've picked that up from, obviously, your youth days with my granddad think, smashing I the window up at the cliff? I think I picked it up from Eric. That's what Eric used to do, sit in the window there and... Bang, bang. <laughs> you you wouldn't look up. You just like look out the corner of your eye, like you know, is it me? <laughs> no, it is you. Um, yeah, no, I I I just it sulfur for me is the greatest challenge, but it's also the one that still gives me that like adrenaline rush. And the problem is with uh, football players, they are adrenaline junkies. They just they live off that feeling of needing to want to do something that's exciting. And um, when you finish playing football, you lose that which is fine, it's no problem, you cope with it, some don't, but most do. Um, and coaching gives you that, but I don't want to go into coaching. You know, being on that touchline when I was there with England or with Valencia, I had that sort of feeling of in my stomach that was like, you know, if we scored elation, if we just conceded yeah. devastation, you know, that feeling after a game, disappointment when you lose. Um, so that was one way of getting it, but I didn't want to choose that route. And uh, the only other way I get it is from obviously Salford on a Saturday, sometimes from United. Um, when I feel like it's a big game and they're, they're at it and I get excited still, you know, a bit with United. But more often than not, I'm working, so it's difficult to do that. Mm. So how did it how did it come about, the uh, the idea to take over Salford? Was there one person driving it at the start or did you all, were you all jumped on at the start? Uh, ready for it? No, me and, Ra me and Ryan were on the train back from London. We were one of his friends. Uh, I think we'd been to a meeting uh, about a hotel project. And I mentioned about an academy and said the best way to run an academy is to have a first team for the players to go into. Um, and that's where the idea came from. So um, we wanted to get young players into our first team and we haven't been that successful yet at Salford because we've been driving for promotions all the time. But it's my single goal in the next two years to get players, young players, into the first team um, from the Greater Manchester area. That is what I want. And we're going to maybe change our plan a little bit in this next 12 months to try and do that because I don't feel it's we can just follow the conventional route. You do the same as everybody else and everybody else is far more advanced than you, spending more money. When you think about City spending nearly 20 million on their academy or United, about 10 to 15 million. Uh, and all the other clubs in the North West and North, you know, sort of Yorkshire area, how do we compete? How do we become competitive? How do we get young players into our team? So that's something that we're really focused on at this moment in time. Do you have any, uh, you have any particular ideas to try and drive that? 
Are you maybe going to take an approach that the likes of Brantford have taken, or, or we're looking at we're, look, we're looking at the Brentford model. We employed uh, Warren Joyce last year, uh, who is uh, somebody we know from Manchester United, who has some of the same qualities. As, well, he has some of the same qualities as, as Eric uh, and Nobby. That ferocious drive to produce players to get the best out of them, to demand from them, um, and I think that he's a, he's a great. He's a, he's a great coach at bridging that gap between sort of an 18-year-old and a 21-year-old in that phase of the career where they're not quite a first-team player, but they've left the youth team and they've got that little bit of a... a not a gap, a, a little bit of a sort of an uncertainty about what they're doing, where they're going to get into the first team, how they should they do it, should they go out on loan, should they stay in the reserves. He's brilliant at grabbing hold of that type of player and just focusing them on working on the game to get them to a point whereby they're good enough to break in. And so we're going to focus a lot on that squad in the next 12 to 18 months to hopefully get players into our first team. And we did have some success last year with uh, Thomas Brandon Asante. So I think we hopefully will um, continue to sort of pursue that route and get more success. Yeah, obviously it's been a, it's been a meteoric rise, you could say, uh, from the club beginning when you took over. What's been the most enjoyable part for you so far? The most enjoyable part was probably the early days mm. on that grass bank. Um, quite often with my dad, with Scolzi, just on that, we used to stand on that beam behind that, um, that old sort of what would be barrier. Um, and I just absolutely loved it. Um, even if it was raining, freezing, just get wrapped up, put my hood on, uh, watch the game, have a laugh, and just absolutely loved that first couple of years. It was. Yeah. We won two promotions. It was raw. It was energetic. The crowd were building. We were sort of... The game against Notts County in the uh, FA Cup will probably be always, I would think, maybe apart from Wembley when we got promoted. Mm. But I think always that will be one of the top three moments that we'll ever have at Salford. That feeling that night um, of beating a, a league club in the FA Cup on that grass bank where we'd stood there me, Ryan and Nicky, I think it was, when we first took over the club and there was 200 people there and I was looking thinking, what are we doing? <laughs> <laughs> we, were, we were getting beat 3-1 off Curzon Ashton and I was like, oh, <laughs> my God. Um, but then, you, 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 you know, we got success, two promotions and then the fun starts to go a little bit less, being honest with you. Mm. The more serious it becomes, the more yeah. money you start paying the more regulations and the fact that you can't stand on the grass bank. You know, you've got a steward, you've stood on the grass bank for two and a half years and then you've basically gone up into the conference north and you've got someone walking over to you saying, hi, sir, you can't stand on that bank anymore. I'm like, I've just stood it for two and a half years. Like, it's not causing any problems. Um, so anyway, yeah, that was, uh, yeah. Yeah, you touched on Wembley there. It was obviously a special day for you and the club. Um, how different was it winning at Wembley as an owner to when you won, obviously, as a player? I, that was the most nervous that I've ever been since I was probably 18 going into a football match, well, 17, my first Youth Cup game at Sunderland. Because just the idea that everything we'd done for four, four or five years was coming down to this one game um, and you just don't know what's going to happen. We'd been beaten by Fylde actually in the league a couple of weeks before, mm. if you remember, at home. Yeah, yeah. So I was nervous about it. Um, but it was actually the most comfortable experience that I've ever had at Wembley yeah. as well in terms of thought. Um, you know, 3-0, we played really well uh, and it was just a really massive relief. I just remember waking up the day after and thinking, thank you, thank you. <laughs> but do you know something? It was a mistake that because 
that's probably the reason that you know we needed to do better last summer in terms of adapting to the league. We didn't adapt to the league quickly enough. And now we're spending a lot of time in these last last month or so, I spent a lot of time on Salford in terms of trying to get right what we're going to do this year with obviously the manager and the, Karen and, and Chris and Scouts and everybody else. So how hard has it been to adapt, you know, with obviously everything that's going on? Has it been really, really tough or have you like collaborated with other clubs to help and learn off of other clubs? No, what you find in life, Joe, is that people will help you when they don't feel threatened by you. The minute they feel threatened by you, there's very little help comes your way, unfortunately. Yeah. Not, my, not quite my approach, but generally in life, that's how it works. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so um, where would you want Salford to be ideally in, in 10 years' time, let's say? Um, I'd like us to be sustainable, producing young players, playing great football in a, with capacity crowds in... The Championship or Premier League. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't say Premier League. I'll say Championship or Premier League. That would be the ideal. Yeah. Um, so, obviously, since since retiring from playing, you've also uh, done a bit of coaching and had a short spell in management. Uh, what was it like to be a part of, you know, an England set-up um, at a major tournament as a coach rather than a player? I, I loved it, but it's the one thing that I will take to my grave, um, England. Um, you know, obviously, I went to eight tournaments. I don't think anybody will ever have gone to eight tournaments as a player and a coach. You'll correct me, I'm sure, if uh, <laughs> I'm wrong. But I can't think of anybody who would have gone to eight tournaments. And every single one of them is, is a disappointment to me. Mm. Every single one of them ended in disappointment, heartache, um, disgrace sometimes. Um, and no, it's just something that don't know. I could never get it right. I could never be part of a team or a coaching team that could contribute to get it right. And that saddens me. Um, and because I, you know, I want to be successful. Everybody wants to be successful, but I've enjoyed success at United. I've enjoyed success since in things that I've done in business. But England for me was just the one that we would never get it right. And I don't know why. Um, I do know why. We weren't good enough ultimately at times during that period and other times we were a bit unfortunate or didn't take our big moments. And uh, But yeah, it was a great, I mean, I love England. I love the country. I love the experience. I love being with England, playing with England. I'm proud of it. But I'm really disappointed that we didn't achieve what really the fans and the country wanted. Which do you think was like your the, the best chance you had to win a trophy? Which team do you think you thought should have gone further but didn't? You uh, 96. And yeah. 2004. Mm. I think if it hadn't have been for Rooney getting injured in 2004, we'd have had a great chance. Mm. Um, he was so good. He was ripping the whole tournament up. Um, and we were strong. Um, and I think 96, you know, we were a hair's breadth away from scoring yeah. in extra time and, and, and being um, in a final against the Czech Republic. And it's not to disrespect the Czech Republic. We could have easily been beaten by them. But just getting past Germany and that, that was the match, really. That is the yeah. match that I, I look at and think, how how close. And the fine lines of football are that you basically, the ball bounces one side of the post and you lose, and the back bounces to the side, you win. And you're a hero or you're a villain and you, 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 know, you achieve or you don't. Yeah. Do you think, do you think England will ever win another, another, another trophy? I've always <laughs> said point. I think England will... No, I have. I've always thinking I think we'll win a trophy. They will do it yeah. one day. It will change the whole. It will change the whole idea of football in this country. Um, I think it'll be in the South Korea. 
he had a great chance. Though. Gareth had a great chance in, in, in Russia playing against you know, Croatia in that semi-final. I hope so, because I like Gareth and I think he's done a great job. I hope it's, you know, I think there's two good chances. The next European Championships next summer, because there's an element of domestic feel to it. And also, I think the next World Cup, because it's going to be in Qatar in a time of year, which I think English players will be stronger um, in terms of their, uh, they won't have played the full season. And also, the climate will be helpful. I think there's a great chance in the next two tournaments, but I think some of the talent that we've got have got to develop into world-class. And at the moment, they've got world-class potential, but they're not world-class players. They're not quite at the very top. You, you only have to see that when you look at sort of some of the real great players in the world. Mm. Do you think that's been England's problem, is uh, obviously having the potential there, but not fulfilling their potential with the, the young, young players coming through? No, I think more than ever, I'm excited by the players that we've got coming through. I really am. There's a great deal of talent. There's, a, I think, a, a more of a willingness to want to put young players now in the, in the first team in these last couple of years. I'm, I'm, I'm excited <laughs> as ever by England, um, but it's got to convert into a trophy. For them to yeah. really be recognised as world-class, to change the dynamic of how England players are seen globally. There's no doubt that we've seen now players who can play in international uh, leagues, that we've got great talent, they can play in the Premier League, but the, the ultimate is going winning a tournament. That's what will really yeah. set you apart from being sort of what would be the really fantastic team, really fantastic players to being sort of remembered forever. Mm. Mm. So obviously in regards of coaching, can you see yourself getting back into coaching? Have you drawn a line with that chapter and not, not going back to that anytime soon? I've more than drawn a line under it. So. <laughs> I've literally, I've slammed shut the coffin lid. I've locked it and I've buried it about 14 feet under the ground. Um, can't see why. Unless you want to see me coach again, Joe. You just, you just want another laugh? Yeah, come on then. Let's do it. <laughs> Yeah, so obviously moving away from football, you've had some obviously successful business ventures, uh, obviously with Ryan opening hotels. Um, how did you find it adapting to that sort of environment coming from your football back? Tough. Yeah, first three years was tough, the hotel side of things. Um, we, we got a lot better at it now, but it takes time. You're learning new industries. You're obviously trying to get the right management team in place and you're establishing and stabilising a hotel, is, particularly a new hotels. Uh, it's difficult and we've done it the hard way. Uh, but, you know, hopefully now, I mean, this, this obviously is a major setback, uh, mm. coronavirus for the hospitality industry as a whole, not just for us. So, but there's nothing we can do about this. But I think we, we, we're well set to recover from it and do well after we open again. Yeah. Uh, and then you took from, is there anything you took from football in terms of leadership and maybe establishing a, a business plan? Um, I think just to uh, have an energy and... Um, try and create a good team spirit and keep everybody sort of enthused to come in every single day um, and working hard. That's the main thing. I obviously can't in install skill into people in hotels and different, completely different um, abilities and sort of different sector. But what you can do is ensure that you sort of the standards are, are, are high in terms of sort of the quality and the sort of attention to detail, the guest experience, um, I think they're the things that really are important. And if you look at our trip advisor reviews in sort of both our hotels, well, particularly hotel football, because obviously it's, the stock exchange has only been open a few months, um, that you would see that you know we've got a really high satisfaction uh, for our guests and, and, our, and our staff. Yeah. So um, 
just to add another string to your bow, you've you obviously moved into punditry. Uh, I think it's safe to say you're now a fan's favourite after uh, your, your spell at, um, on Monday Night Football and with Sky. Uh, you've got a very charismatic, let's say, friendship with uh, Jamie Carragher. Would you say he's, he's a friend now rather than a colleague? Um, I don't know, really. I or don't not after really this week? No, no. <laughs> he, was, uh, he was messing around on that period last week when he drew the Stella and firing rockets. Um, <laughs> I was uh, I was in hibernation. Um, I, I don't know really. I, I I think very close. Trust each other um, on set. Understand the dynamic of you know ultimately that we work together well. But his knowledge of football is good. We bounce off each other. Um, we're demanding of each other. Demanding of everybody around us when we're on television. The presenters are obviously always fantastic. The production staff are great. But we uh, yeah we do we work well together. And I think that you know there's no You've got to have that environment where you can basically have that honesty between each other and you're not going to yeah. basically be too... Um, yeah, you're not going to throw your toys out of the pram at the end of the show because he said something that I might not like <laughs> or vice versa. Yeah. You just get on with it. So that way it works from that sense. We're not sort of like preparing each other to, you know, you say this and I say this, it's all a bit nice and, you know, let's make sure we don't argue. It's none of that. How much planning and preparation does it does go into a show like Monday Night Football? Is a lot of it off the cuff or is a lot of the planning? A lot more planning into that show than any of the others, but a lot more off the cuff now than it used to be because I think the best stuff is off the cuff. The best stuff is relaxed, it's conversational, um, it's instinctive, it's not prepared. Some of, the, mm. some of the analysis you have to prepare, obviously, because it's there. You have to get the clips ready and we have to make sure it's meticulous and it's right. But the other stuff, the sort of conversational type things, how we feed off each other, it's better when we actually don't know what each other are going to say. Mm. Uh, because then you get that instant reaction or that sort of, that feeling of sort of what, you know, that chemistry of working together. Um, and that's how we feel now because we're confident, obviously, working and on the shows. And But we, we couldn't have done that in the early days. The early days had to be really prepared and, and we had to make sure we knew what each other were doing, but not now. We're a lot more experienced and we can get away with it. How long did it take you to learn how to use, you know, that big screen that you, that you do oh, the replays I'd every time? I'd say probably, I'd say probably 18 months to get really comfortable where yeah. I felt I was confident. The, the main thing is about technology on television and doing it live is that you're going to make mistakes. Yeah. It's actually getting comfortable making mistakes and not panicking. Mm. It's about being basically, you know, let's say you're interviewing me now and you mess a question up. You know, it's not a problem. Yeah, yeah. It's not a problem. If you, if, you know, if you were supposed to ask me uh, a question about, I don't know, I've got chocolate footballs in front of me <laughs> and you ask me a question about bonbons, which I've got in front of me as well, you'd say, uh, you know, do you like bonbons, Gary? He's, I didn't mean bonbons, I meant chocolate footballs. And yeah. It's just making sure that you say, you know, it's when people panic and they start to rush and they start to yeah, get yeah. quick. And that's what I did in the early days. Actually, as time went on, I got a lot more comfortable and you accept that you're going to make mistakes in live television. You just correct them and say, oh, got that one wrong, let's take it back or something like that. Obviously, you've, gone in, you've done a bit of co-commentary as well. What's been your favourite game that you've, you've been part of co-commentating? Favourite game to call commentate on? Don't know really because I forget about a lot of them as soon as I've done them. <laughs> um, I, I love the I, I love the uh, I love the Champions League one in Barcelona, the one with uh, 
with Torres. The one with, uh, yeah, just yeah. <laughs> you know, the best team in the world all of a sudden getting beat by 10 men, 10 man Chelsea who'd sat the manager a few months before. Yeah, uh, Ramirez scoring, then obviously Torres scoring. Just it was amazing that John Terry getting sent off. Games like that where there's lots happening, it's fast, it's furious, there's lots of things happening, and just big incidents. You want big incidents, you want big mm. big moments, big goals, shots, you want great goals, you want the big things to happen when you're co-commentating. Uh, how, how hard has it been recently, obviously, co-commentating in an empty stadium? Obviously, do you have the, um, the crowd noise in your ears? Yeah, I've put it on. How, um, how hard, how hard is it? Off. Yeah, how hard is it, you know, because you've got the noise in your ears, but you look around and the stadium's completely empty. Is it hard to kind of... Because do you usually bounce no. off the atmosphere, usually? No, you, you've got three or four sounds. You've got the noise in your ear, the crowd. You've got Martin talking, obviously, if he or Rob Hawthorne or Bill Leslie, the commentator. You've then got the uh, the director who's telling you what's happening and the pictures are coming. So you've got three or four things happening at all times when you're commentating. Um, but that's experience. You just get used to it and you get used to noise. You get used... Sometimes it's more difficult when you've got fans directly behind you like you do at Arsenal or City. Yeah. And they're screaming at you in your ear and you can hear them and it's like, they are distracting you a little bit, but you just have to get on with it and you become experienced uh, to understand that you're going to have those other noises happening when you're sort of doing a show. You know, obviously since you've, you've moved into Sky, Man United have sort of been on a slow slow decline. Has it been hard to become, like, be a pundit whilst that's happening, you know, stay impartial? It's tough. It's obviously a lot easier when they're doing well. Um, yeah. I think, to be honest with you, I think I, you're right. There have been times where I've become angry because of the general frustration around what's happened with the club mm. um, and just poor decision-making. You could see it at the time. You didn't even have to basically wait for it to actually unfold, for it to know it was happening. Uh, but I feel a little bit more comfortable and relaxed with it today because of the fact that the recruitment's been a lot better in the last 18 months. They've taken a step back to go forward. They've become less desperate, more measured. Um, and I think it's something that ultimately is, is paying dividends and I, I feel better commentating on it. Even if you don't win the league, I feel better commentating on a team that I like. Mm, yeah. Obviously, you, you in the studio, you have uh, plenty of uh, other, other former footballers joining you. What's it like knowing that Roy Keane's going to be there? Do you feel excited that something's going to be said that he's going to say something entertaining? So I think as a viewer sitting at home, especially last week when he came out with what he said about De Gea and... Uh, Harry Maguire and the United team. It's, it's entertaining. No, you know I, something's going to come out. No, I mean, I, was, I, was, I, was, I wasn't in the studio last week when he said that, but I don't feel entertaining. I don't feel like I'm, I'm waiting for entertainment. I just feel that um, he's compelling to listen to and he, um, you know, offset, he's still great company and sort yeah. of, it's good to always to talk to him. So, no, I just, I, that's, that's how it is for me, really. I mean, I'm doing a lot of commentary at the moment. I'm not in the studio. Um, so I'm just listening to it like everybody else but no I think it's compelling listening to Graham the same um, you know there's a good dynamic in the studio watching Mika Richards last night with Roy and with Jamie Red, uh, Jamie Carragher and then watching Jamie Redknapp and Graham Soonis in London I think Sky have this season got what would be the best mm. um, presentation team that I've seen obviously with Dave Jones and Kelly Cates as well I think it's the best we've been this for about probably seven or eight years since the first game when you know Glenn Hoddle was there with Graham Soonis and Jamie Redknapp and myself and Jamie Carragher. It was a real strong team then. Um, Ray Wilkins uh, was there as well. So Alan Smith, obviously. So really great team then. And we've also got that now with the, the, the team we've got. Yeah, obviously this season's not been brilliant from a United's perspective with uh, 
the dreaded Liverpool winning the title again coming through. How hard has it been to uh, accept and obviously being a pundit, you've got to analyse such a great Liverpool team. How hard has that been? Yeah. To be honest with you, Joe, you get to a point whereby you're just talking about football. And, you know, personally, I don't like it. But if they're a great football team and they're playing well, that's what you have to say. Yeah, I'm not going to make myself look an idiot and say, oh, this is really bad. They're not playing very yeah, well. They're lucky. I mean, you know, a great team a great team. I watched Kevin De Bruyne last night and just felt blessed. Yeah. You know, every time I watch him play, I feel privileged to be in the ground. He is absolutely amazing. And he's a beautiful thing on a football pitch. So I'm, he wears a blue shirt. I don't like that he wears a blue shirt. I wish it was a red shirt, a Manchester United red shirt. <laughs> um, but he's not. So you've just got to watch him and marvel and think, wow, what a player. Um, there's no point in me sitting there and saying, you know, Kevin De Bruyne, I don't rate him, I don't think he's that mm. good, I don't think he's this. It's, it's, it doesn't work. People just read right through it. So, no, you've got to get over those things and just see it as it is. Right, OK. So, obviously, um, you're not, you obviously were at the game of the other night, United game against Brighton. Um, was it refreshing to see a performance like that put in? Uh, and is it, do you think with a few transfers, they can compete with the likes of Liverpool and Man City? They have to make a few transfers, again, of the right people. If they're not there, don't do them. Uh, and I say, I think the club have been better at that. But they do need three or four players of the highest quality to go into that squad. There is no point in kidding ourselves otherwise. The levels are good. The team is better. I think the fans, me, everyone likes the team more. But they do need still some more quality to be able to challenge, uh, to take them from what would be a really good level that they're getting to now to what would be the sort of groundbreaking levels that City and Liverpool have reached in this last two or three years. You know, you think about when Jose Mourinho come in in 2000, sort of four or five to Chelsea, and he set those standards. You know, Alex Ferguson had to react. Um, he had to build a team that could compete with that and you know, get, go past it. And that's what Manchester United have to do now. You can't just sit here and say, right, this is a good enough level and wait for them to come back. You've got to go and grab them and pull them back, pull them back yourself, really. Yeah. Where do you see United next season? I see United next season, in my mind, they've got to get into that top three. They've got to break yeah. from what would be fifth and fourth into that top three. And then the year after, they've then got to start getting to chat. You know, I think Ollie's got what would be now uh, the rest of this season. Next year, I think, again, I don't think, I don't think he'll be under massive pressure to win the league at all. Mm. I think as long as the progression, and then the year after, I think you'd have to see him challenging I think that's what Jurgen Klopp did. He was four years before he you know, he built every single season to a point whereby he started to challenge for the league, which he did last season. And this season he's won it. So I think Oli's got at least a couple more seasons yet before he gets put under pressure to win the league. He's still building. I think three or four of the right players this summer, bed the team in, get them closer, get them within 10 points at the top of the league. And then the year after, maybe another addition or two with a natural growth of the team improving and getting more confident, hopefully we'll see them challenge. That's what you'd hope for if you're a United fan. But I would say next season, get within 10 points at the top of the league and be in the top three. Perfect. I think that rounds okay. off very nicely. Thank you very much, Gary, for joining us. Thank yes. you, lads. Enjoy Thank you yourselves. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.